0: So merely little Christmas let your heart be light. Well, good morning. good morning and um Merry Christmas also. My name is Nick Allen. I'm the family pastor here at Rolling Hills, um, and oh, it says it right there. Okay, cool. Didn't even need to do that introduction. Um, so Pastor Jeff this morning is at our South Nashville campus joining uh, our campus pastor Jason Hale as they cast a vision and share like what's next in store for our South Nashville campus, and so um, we wish them well today, and we're excited about what God is doing there, and also what God is doing here. So you guys are um, either stuck with me or blessed by me. It's really a choose-your-own-adventure kind of morning, and you decide what this looks like for you. It's an extra fun day in the life of Rolling Hills in the auditorium because elementary school students and middle school students who are typically in their own hours of programming are actually joining us in here for this worship experience. So um, air high five to all the grade schoolers out there and welcome. We're glad you're here. Uh, Just to kind of start off in in a a little moment of reflection and fun because we just celebrated Christmas. Why don't you turn around to the folks who are near you, whether it's the people that you came with as a family or even a stranger beside you, um, and share just for a second your best Christmas memory of 2015. Go. Go. time is up, your Christmas could not have been that great, so go ahead and bring it back in. I do hope that Christmas was good. My middle child, Nora Blake, who's here with us this morning, um, she said over and over that the best part of her Christmas day was the fact that we stayed home all day, and we didn't go anywhere, and we stayed in our pajamas as a family, and so, you know, I love that. I hope that Christmas was good to you, Um, and beyond that, I really hope that you were good to Christmas. Um, some of you guys know this about me. For others of you, it, it may come as a surprise. I love a teachable moment. In fact, I live for them. Um, stick me in the waters of baptism, and I am grabbing that microphone and telling you about the waters of substitutionary atonement that only comes from forgiveness in Christ. I uh, They often don't give me a microphone on a special day to say the welcome at Rolling Hills because I am um, known to ramble on for a long time about the purpose of um, like the very first Mother's Day or Abraham Lincoln's Thanksgiving Day proclamation and uh, 16 years in student ministry and kids ministry and I have absolutely loved every moment to connect the dots between Old and New Testament, between um, the Passover feast pronounced in Exodus, and also the Lord's Supper pronounced by Jesus in the Gospels and what that means for us. I love to connect the dots between Hanukkah and Christmas, and pretty much any time there's a historic connection between the Old and New Testament, I um, I just get lost in, in the pages of this book. Somebody should have checked the preaching schedule before they let me talk about the wise men because this is chock full of teachable moments. And I'm excited to close our Christmas series out with yet another sound um, because we've talked about the sounds of a baby's cry and about the love of God and also about the grace that we're afforded in Christ. And now we get to talk about the sound of a movement, a sound of a movement that was started that many thousands of years ago. And I want to begin um, no other place today than with the story. And so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. Um, we're going to read the totality of the wise Wiseman story. It's just 12 verses of a historical account that we get of some of Jesus' first birthday visitors. And I am thrilled um, to look at what that means for us. And as we do, you know that you can check out verses on the screen or with your mobile device as you follow along with the sermon notes that have been provided. But more than anything, I want to ask God today um, to take these words and to open them for us and to invite us to know him better as a part of that. So would you pray with me? God, we thank you. Thank you for Christmas and the opportunity to gather together today in a house of worship um, with people who are called like us to worship our King. And Father, my prayer today is that the words on these pages would come alive for us, and by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would create um, understanding in us that only you can create, um, that we might know you better and follow you differently um, as a result. May your name be praised, and may your people be challenged. We love you, Jesus. Amen. So we find ourselves today in the book of Matthew, the first of four Gospels, and also the first of the books of the New Testament, to talk about the birth of our King. And the Bible says in Matthew chapter 2, today, incidentally, I'm reading from the New International Reader's Version in honor of all the elementary school kids who are in the room. This is the Bible that we tend to use in our elementary school classrooms because it's, it's noted to be on a second grade reading level. I'm asked all the time, um, what's the best Bible translation for kids? If you want to get into that middle school level, we've got the Holman Christian Standard Bible. If you're looking for something collegiate that's going to carry them throughout the rest of their life, the ESV is great. But these versions of Scripture are meant for us to understand the real truth of Scripture, which was written um, in Greek and in Hebrew thousands of years ago, but still represents valid truth for us today. So we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 2. It says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea. This happened while Herod was king of Judea. After Jesus' birth, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. They asked, Where is the child who has been born to be king of the Jews? When we were in the east, we saw his star. Now we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard about it, he was very upset. Everyone in Jerusalem was troubled too. So Herod called together all the chief priests of the people. He also called the teachers of the law. He asked them where the Christ was going to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, this is what the prophet has written. He said, and he quotes Micah chapter 5 verse 2, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are certainly not the least important among the towns of Judah. A ruler will come out of you. He will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod in verse 7, He called for the wise men secretly. He found out from them the, exactly when the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem. He said, Go, make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, bring me a report. Then I can go and worship him too. After the wise men had listened to the king, they went on their way. The star they had seen while they were in the east went ahead of them. It finally stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. The wise men went into the house, um, which proves to us that while Jesus was born in a barn, he was not raised in one. They moved to a home. There, they saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasures. They gave him gold, incense, and myrrh. But God warned them in a dream not to go back to Herod, so they returned to their country on a different road. May we be challenged by this word today. And may we understand that this movement started thousands of years ago still alive today, has something pretty powerful to say to the likes of us. We start with the sounds, Um, the entourage, the travel, possibly camels and horses and donkeys and crowds, excitement, directions, questions. A moment, hundreds of years in the making, their great grandfathers and mentors had only dreamed about this. There's a lot of legends surrounding the story of the wise men. First, they were said to be kings. And we believe there to be three of them. That's ultimately just a representation of the gifts that they brought. The gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. Some legends want to attach each of those three wise men to one of Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ultimately, we can all trace our lineage back, I guess, to Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Because everybody else on the planet before that point died. Okay, so... oh. Okay, another legend tells us um, that these three kings actually had names, Caspar, Balthazar, and Melchior. And another legend says that their three skulls were found in the 12th century by the Bishop of Cologne, and their eyes were still in their sockets, fixed with a gaze towards Bethlehem. That is also the next installment of Indiana Jones movies. There's a lot of legends, um, and a lot of theory, and a lot of just fiction surrounding who these guys were. Um, And so today, we're going to, really take to the pages of scripture to try to figure out um, the who and also the when and the where and the what and ultimately the why of these guys. Why are they included in the canon of scripture and why do we need to know about them today? As far as what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 2, they were wise men called magi. They came from the east. They journeyed to see the one who had been born, the king of the Jews, all because of a star. How'd they know that that star meant there was a baby And how did they attach that star to the Jews? The Bible doesn't tell us in Matthew chapter 2, but in other places it gives us some probable clues. You know, the world has, in, in history, four major empires. The first was the Babylonian. Scripture's recollection of the Babylonian rule is found throughout Old Testament prophecy, but most personally by a guy named Daniel who was taken to Babylon in exile as a young Jewish fashion model. Okay, the Bible doesn't say fashion model, but it does say young and good-looking, and I relate to that story a lot. It's one of my favorites. More on that in a moment. The second world empire was the Medo-Persian. The third was the Greek, and the fourth was the Roman Empire. That's the one that we study the most in school, guys. And that Roman Empire was the empire to which Jesus was born. It says that a group of educated astronomers, they were known as Chaldeans, they could be traced back to Ur and a guy named Abraham all the way back in Genesis 12. Those same guys popped up again in the book of Daniel as advisors to King Nebuchadnezzar. They were astronomers, studiers of stars, and they kept records for as long as 350 to 360 years about places that stars and celestial beings and planets had traveled and all of the things that they had studied had been passed down from generation to generation. And it was to those men... To those men, along with magicians and sorcerers and enchanters, that the king riddled his dream in Daniel chapter 2, a dream that could only be interpreted by a young Hebrew guy named Daniel. Daniel had a piece of wisdom that these guys didn't have, and they were lovers of wisdom, and so they would have wanted it. My hypothesis about the wise men, where they got this information in Matthew chapter 2, comes straight from Daniel chapter 2, because verse 48 says this Then the king, because Daniel was able to interpret the dream, then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over who? all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel was in charge it gave him an audience of influencers and as many seizable, teachable moments as he wanted to tell some people who loved stars about a coming star that would signal a coming king. When were they supposed to look? You could study Daniel chapter 9 with a prophecy regarding 77s, approximately 490 years that would usher in both the birth and also the death of Jesus Christ. These are men who had spent the last generations studying. We could go over those details not just all day, but really all year, trying to understand the moment that Christ came the first time and the moment that Christ will come the second time. And that's what they did for generations. We know that a Septuagint, it's the Greek translation of the Old Testament scriptures, came about in the year 280 BC. So these guys would have had access to copies of Old Testament prophecies, copies of Old Testament history that they could have written in their own language to understand the truth of what God was going to bring. Prophecies that came from maybe a guy named Balaam who was already prophesying about a king in Jerusalem before there ever was a Jerusalem. Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. Kids, you should go read Numbers chapter 22 through 24 with your parents because there's a talking donkey. Spoiler, that's exciting, right? It says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It will crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheph. Who were these guys? Magi. They came from the east, They followed a star, they brought expensive gifts. Magi is from the Greek word magos. It's where we get the word magic and the word magician. And it means not only the name given by the Babylonians to the Medes, the Persians and other wise men and teachers and priests and prophets and physicians and astrologers, seers, interpreters of dreams, soothsayers, sorcerers. It's also the name that's given to these wise men, these astrologers, who having discovered by the rising of a remarkable star that a Messiah had just been born. Who were these magi? The bottom line? Is that they were pagan prophets, non-Jewish sorcerers, people from other countries, polytheistic, multiple God worshippers from other nations. People who were outside God's family and yet came to worship God's son. We'll talk about that again in a moment, but I can't think of a better picture for scripture to paint for us. About ultimately the work that God was doing to invite people who were outside the family of God to be a part of the family of God. Who were these guys? Wise men looking for a Messiah. When did it happen? The Bible is very clear. It says it happened when Herod was king of Judea. Now now this is a big deal, the fact that Herod was king. Here's why. Palestine, the region that included Israel and Judah all over in the Middle East, fell to the expanding Roman Empire. The Romans had a practice of placing local rulers in charge of certain areas to govern on their behalf. One such ruler was a guy named Herod. He was appointed by the Roman Senate to rule. After he campaigned with a military against the Hasmonean king and a political marriage, Herod and the Romans took Jerusalem. He had that last Hasmonean king killed and what we have ushered in is the Herodian dynasty. He took on the title Basilius, which means emperor or king. He was known for two things. One, being the best builder that Jerusalem had ever had, building these crazy edifices and these crazy parts of his kingdom. And it was meant to endear him to the Jews, but ultimately because of heavy taxation to pay for it all, all they did was resent him. He was known for his building. He was also known for his paranoia. History tells us that Herod was crazy paranoid about people trying to take his throne. In fact, he had members of his own family, including his wife, killed for fear that they were trying to take the throne from him. He was known throughout the land as the king of the Jews. So when people from the east, where other empires had also come, came to town talking about a newborn king of the Jews, he was naturally upset. And the Bible says all of Jerusalem with him. When did this happen? While Herod was king of Judea. When did it happen? When they saw the star rise. Now, I don't want to burst anybody's Christmas decorations bubble, but you all do know that the wise men and the shepherds did not share the same airspace when it came to meeting the baby Jesus We know that the wise men came really anywhere from 40 days after Jesus was born up until two years after he was born. Forty days because that's when Jesus would have been presented at the temple because the purification rituals for Mary who just had a baby were over at that point and they went back to a house instead of staying in that stable, right? And two years because of what happened in Matthew chapter 2 verse 16. It says, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. He sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem And in all that region who were two years old or younger. Why? According to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Because of what he had heard from the wise men about when they started following the star. He knew that Jesus had to be under two years old. And in order to kill the newborn king, he decided to kill all the other baby boys too. Who came? Wise men, non-Jews, pagan worshipers from the east. When did they come? During the reign of King Herod when they saw that star rise. And where did they go? Bethlehem, in the land of Judah. Why Bethlehem? Because Jesus was said to be born of the line of David. That's right, sure. But you don't have to be born in the same town to be in the same family. So why Bethlehem? Well, to fulfill a prophecy in Micah chapter 5, which said that a ruler would come out of Bethlehem who would rule God's people and be like a true shepherd to God's family. Well, that's great, but God could have chosen any town in any region anywhere and pronounced any prophecy regarding his son's birth. Why Bethlehem? Bethlehem was small. Bethlehem was poor. Bethlehem was low. And at this one particular time in history, Bethlehem was also crowded, which meant that there was no room, which meant that they had to stay in not only the lowest town, but also in the lowest of places to prove that our God is a God of power. He chose the lowest of towns in the lowest of circumstances to birth the highest of highs, his own son, and if we ever doubted the power of God, kids in the room, this is for you right now because God can take something small. God can take something insignificant. God can take a little life and do something unbelievable with it. And this is just an indication of the power that what God wants to display in our lives because we are small and because we are insignificant. And God wants to take everything that's small and everything that's insignificant and everything that's weak about us and birth a sign of his power that the world can't even comprehend. He did that then. He's doing that now. Who, Magi, when, during the reign of Herod, where, to a town called Bethlehem. What? A movement. A movement that brought sounds and noise and travel. The Wise men from the east, schooled in all things prophetic and really excited about everything astronomic, worked hard to find Jesus. And what that movement meant for them, I do think God intends for us today, too. It's in your notes. First, the wise men, they were moved to go. To go. After Jesus' birth, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. If those magi, like we think, came from the environs surrounding Babylon, they would have traveled 900 miles to get to Jesus via a trade route that connected Babylon to Palestine. That's the equivalent of you and I leaving after church and going from my home in Spring Hill all the way to Miami, Florida, which is incidentally what our weather feels like right now. 900 miles. It took Ezra in the Old Testament four months to make that journey with four to five thousand people and the wise men may have been faster but it was still a monumental journey considering that they didn't have modern transportation means. The wise men went and they went far and they went hard and they went long. Why? Because they were moved, second thing, they were moved to worship. It says now we have come to worship him and we could spend all of our time talking about what that worship looks like, and we'll get to that in a minute. But the operative word in Matthew chapter 2 for 2 is we. Now, we have come to worship him. And we already talked about who the we is because they're magi. The unbelievable God side truth in this moment is that the we in this verse was not God's people. It was not Abraham's seed. It was not the nation of Israel. How were those people responding? We learned. Herod, who was that people, was upset. Jerusalem, they were that people. They were troubled too. The very people that should have gotten it the very people that should have been looking, the very people that should have been counting to 77 times over the last few generations, the very people who knew that something monumental was supposed to happen in Bethlehem, the very people who should have been camped out waiting to buy their tickets to the show, ignored it and wanted nothing to do with the coming Messiah. In verse 5, they responded so quickly in Bethlehem and Judea. It's what Micah chapter 5 says. They knew that it was going to happen, and yet they ignored the signs that God gave and were angry and upset that anybody else didn't. And in doing that, Matthew paints for us the most beautiful pic- picture of salvation, highlighting for us the story of the wise men, bringing to life prophecies that came from the Old Testament, like that found in Isaiah chapter 60. It says, people of Jerusalem, get up. Shine because your light has come. The glory of the Lord will shine on you. Darkness covers the earth. Thick darkness spreads over the nations, but I will rise and shine on you. My glory will appear over you. Nations, plural, will come to your light. Kings, plural, will come to the brightness of your new day. The we that came to worship, it was the nation's. It fulfills the prophecy of Old Testament scripture and it highlights God's purpose from the very beginning, which was to carve out for himself nations, plural, a people, plural. Abraham was promised that he would be the father of nations, plural. Fast forward to a psalmist in Psalm 86, 9 who wrote, Lord of all the nations, plural, you have made, will come and worship you. All the nations you have made will come and worship you. They will bring glory. Matthew doesn't talk about the shepherds. The first people that he mentions to bring worship to the newborn King Jesus were people who had no business knowing about the newborn King Jesus, but also the very people who would fulfill the promises made in the Old Testament and foreshadow the future of God's glorious family when all of us, also non-Jews, also pagan sinners, are invited to take part in the family of God. A better picture of Christ's birth and what God was doing could not be painted for us when following the birth of Jesus, God's own son, rulers, not just rulers, but foreign rulers, and not just foreign rulers, but smart, educated, influential ones came and knelt. The wise men were moved to go, and the wise men were moved to worship, and we need to know that their worship was expensive. You know the gifts, and and you've likely heard the reason why those gifts have significance. Gold is befitting a king, which Jesus was. Incense was befitting a priest, which Jesus is the highest. Myrrh was foreshadowing his death because of the sacrificial death he would die in order for us to know God. Bottom line is that those were expensive treasures, and they gave them to a baby as a sign of worship and as a reflection of heart. What did you give Jesus this year on his birthday? I am not the pastor who gets to talk about offerings at rolling hills thankfully i just get to lean into parenting um, which is great Um, but i dare say that if you need one we can find a red envelope that's fine Um, if it would help you give a special gift to christ at christmas my task today with the idea of what it meant for the wise men to give is a little bit different i would say how do you serve in this church Are you a recipient of the blessings of a life at Rolling Hills? I hope so. Because I think there are a lot, and we want to make sure that you're experiencing everything that Rolling Hills has to offer. Are you a contributor to the blessings of life at Rolling Hills? I hope so. And if not, I think it's time to open up your treasure box. But I don't mean financially. I think that's just the tip of the iceberg. Giving financially here, it, it certainly pays the bills, and it has a profound effect on our ability as a church to communicate the gospel and culture and to raise a new generation to know and follow Jesus. It's fantastic, so, so thank you. But lean in with me for just a moment. My wife, Susan, is awesome. Hey, you look really nice this morning too, by the way. Okay, um, she's a stay-at-home mom, like a number of you, um, and she also homeschools our kids, like a number of you, and I think that's awesome. I think that she deserves a salary higher than mine. Hashtag brownie points. Okay, good. Um, the work she does in our home really has no price tag, um, but no one is cutting her a check every other Friday in order to do that, right? Think about it from this perspective. It's, it's, it's my work. It's my salary. It's my job title that that pays for things like a mortgage and like um an electric bill, and uh, groceries, and gasoline, and all the other necessities of life. So imagine if I came home to chores that needed to be done, kids that needed to be engaged, a lawn that needed to be mowed, and a dog that needed to be walked, and said, no, my job is to pay for stuff. Your job is to do for stuff. You can't build a doghouse that big. My kids don't care if I keep the lights on. They care if I engage. Susan and I are incredibly grateful um, to serve a local church um, and incredibly grateful for the salary that that affords. Um, Insert the awkward moment when I stand before the people who pay that and say thank you. Um, By ministerial standards, I I want to say that Rolling Hills is a generous church. um, And and as a staff team, we're blessed. And and we know that. And so I, I do say thank you but my earning was never intended to be the sum total of my contribution in my family. I'm called to engage. Contributing to Rolling Hills is more than paying the bills. I can't miss the opportunity today to to speak some words that I love, which are worship one and, and serve one in this divinely appointed teachable moment. Your financial giving may be obedience to the Lord and it may further the kingdom ap- impact that we are able to have as a church but your financial giving was never intended to be the sum total of your contribution and investment here you are called to engage and, and if you need a place to do that um, my team Chase Anna, they're here this morning they would love to help you find a place to do that when the wise men opened up their treasure boxes It wasn't just financial gifts. It wasn't just prophetic foreshadowing of who Jesus was and what he would do. It was a reflection of an attitude, of heart, of effort, of years of searching and years of looking and years of waiting and years of anticipating what this star would bring and what this star would mean for all people. And the effort that they went to to bring it mattered just as much as the gifts they brought. The wise men, I think, were moved to go. The wise men, I think, were moved to worship, and the wise men, I think, were moved to give. And finally, the wise men were moved to change. I love this part, this last verse, verse 12. It says, but God warned them in a dream not to go back to Herod, so they returned to their country on a different road. I think it's a stretch, but I love this part of the story. You see, it was their knowledge, it was their intense study, it was all of their preparation that helped them follow a star, but it was a completely supernatural, 100% divine act of intervention, a dream that they could not have conjured, that they could not have invented, that they could not manufacture, that they could not conjure up themselves, a dream that they couldn't control that changed their direction. It was an encounter with the living God. The question for us today is, how far would you go for Jesus. What amount of effort does your worship cost? What gifts and abilities and resources does Christ deserve from you this year? And what's going to look differently? What's going to change? What's going to be new about you as a result of an encounter with Christ? What dream does God want to birth in you this year that only he can take credit for? If you are a follower of Jesus Christ... And you've experienced the free gift of salvation that only comes through the forgiveness of your sins and through a faith that placed jesus at the throne of your life then in what ways is god stirring in you this year a new commitment to his son and to his church How will you be different in 2016? And how will Rolling Hills look different 12 months from now because of the investment that you're going to make over the next 365 days? What on earth is God doing to move in us the continuation of His church founded in Acts? by the apostles who spread his word all over the land, a continuation of what God did in some magi, some foreigners who got to be a part of this monumental moment. To us, a Gentile church that was created and grafted into God's family to ignite a movement that would span all generations and that would literally change the world, a business that God is still at work doing. What on earth is gonna be different about our level of engagement this year? I invite us all, to do 2016 differently than we did 2015 to go hard after Jesus to worship him to give out of open-handed obedience so that to to go a different route To be different in how we serve and how we love on a different path this year than we were the last naming and claiming the things we want to be and know and do differently this year but when we do accompanying those with the faith that it's God who does the work in us in the first place we can't do any of it on our own we need the supernatural power of God to move in us I love this image here come to Christ any route you want but when you do, you will go home changed. Why? We've got the who, the when, the what, and the where, but, but 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 why? One word, Jesus. One thing compelled the wise men to move. One thing made them leave. One thing made people outside God's family pursue the chance to be included in God's history. Jesus. God moved in my heart when I was seven years old. As a part of a local church and a family that went to church, I was invited by the Holy Spirit of God into a personal relationship with Jesus where my sins were forgiven, my future was altered, and my forever was changed. Why one word? Jesus. Kids in the room, listen closely for a second. I want to tell you today that you are fortunate. And and if you don't know that word fortunate, I want to tell you today that you are blessed. And and if that's a little bit fuzzy to you, I'll just go ahead and say a word that I don't really like all the time, but I think you're going to get it. You are lucky. You're lucky. You're lucky to be here right now in this moment because you just got to listen to me talk for 30 straight minutes. (laughs) And that's really a lie. The reason why we gave you extra white space in your worship guides today is because I knew that there was going to be a whole lot of doodling going on. It's okay, but tune back in for a second. Here's the reason why you're fortunate. Here's the reason why you're blessed. Here's the reason why I might call you lucky. Because last time I checked you had to be 16 years of age and a licensed driver in order to get here on your own. If that's not you then that means someone brought you. And so the reason why you're fortunate, the reason why you're blessed, the reason why I call you lucky is because someone sitting near you today, they brought you here. And they brought you here with a purpose. Their hope and their desire and their prayer is that you would have knowledge of the living God who created you and wants a love relationship with you and they are doing by bringing you here and by talking about Christ at home, they're doing everything that they know to do to instill those seeds in you so that that seed may grow into salvation so that you can come to know and follow Jesus and maybe that's already your story. You have talked to God about what it means to be a sinner and you have expressed your sorrow for that through repentance and you have asked him to forgive those sins and to come and to be the Lord of your life so that you might follow Jesus and that means you are a Christian, a Christ follower, someone who follows Jesus, but others of you are just having those conversations and asking mom and dad tough questions about salvation and baptism and what it means to be a Christian, and you're asking them when they became a Christian. If you were to go around and survey this room to all the people who became Christ followers as adults, they would look at you too and tell you that you're lucky that someone right now is investing those seeds in you because they wish that they could go back in time. Not that they begrudge their story at all, but they wish that someone had told them at age seven what we're telling you at age seven. They wish that someone had told them at 13 and 14 what someone is telling you at 13 and 14 so that those seeds could have been planted in them sooner so that they wouldn't go through so much life before they finally realize that Jesus loved them. You guys are fortunate. And it will be hard for you to wrap your mind around that right now. But I want you to lean into that in 2016. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit of God to move in you in 2016 and to do something in a child that we can't even imagine because we're in here on Sunday mornings expecting God to do things in adults but I'm in there on Sunday mornings knowing that God is doing things in the lives of kids and he's going to continue to do that and lean into that and say God move in me invite me to know you and teach me what it means to follow you and parents let us come alongside you and help you in the process of raising kids who know and follow Jesus lean in and know how blessed you are and take advantage of that blessing follow God because of it to all the rest of us in this room I invite you to consider the priority on which you have placed church and worship this year is it magi sized does it cost does it exude the effort and the extravagance befitting the king of kings and the lord of lords we don't worship God in this way to earn his favor but we Worship God in this way as an expression of our love because of what He's lavished on us as a reflection of His holiness so that 2016 may be a year that is marked differently for us when our lives are moved and changed by the power of His Spirit. To the wise men, the star was an invitation to a party, to join what God is doing. And to us today, their story is an invitation for us to do the same. We can be the plus ones that God invites to come along to see how he's moving and what he's doing in a new year. And oh, I pray that we will. Holy God, we are in awe today of what you were doing thousands of years ago. To foreshadow what you would continue to do for all generations. To invite people who had no business knowing about you. To come and take part of the gift that is you. To invite us to worship. To invite us to bow. To invite us to give. And to change us from the inside out. Holy God, I pray that we would be a people today who leave differently. And who go a different route than the way we came, so that our lives will be marked by the movement of the Holy Spirit of God inside of us. People who are here today, men, women, boys, and girls, I want to invite us into a continued time of worship. Um, These guys are going to play and they're going to sing. But this is a time for us to respond. And one of the ways that you can do that today is by asking God, how do you want to move in me this year? God, help me to see and to sense and to know and to hear and to follow you. So so ask that question. Ask that question if you're in second grade. Ask that question if you're 70. Ask that question. How does God want to move in you this year? I also want to say, with this being the last Sunday, that we recognize the fact that there are many things that you wish would be different about 2016 than, than were true about 2015. And you were standing at the door of a new year, knowing that God wants to move in you and hoping that you will respond with a commitment to him. If, if there's something that you specifically would like to pray about or to have someone pray for, um, Pastor Chase and I are gonna be up here um, as we continue this time of worship, just to, to pray and celebrate what God is doing in your lives and to help you respond in whatever way he's calling to the gift of his word to the ultimate gift of his son. So as we stand and sing and as we worship, I just ask you to respond. In what way is God moving in you? Holy Father, we pray that your spirit would speak clearly and that our ears would hear and understand and that we would respond in obedience to the things that you desire to do in us and through us as we follow your star. Amen.